This morning, I'm pleased to welcome you to this second in a series uh, of presentation by Don McIntosh on the, area, on the aspect of uh, the right arm. And, to, and since Don has been here yesterday already and has been introduced, I'm not going to go into great detail in his introduction except to say that he, he comes from a background, a medical background, being a registered nurse into pastoring, and he brings a passion about the right arm and its potential uh, for, the, for, the, for the gospel ministry. So this morning, we're gonna, I'm going to go ahead and have uh, Don McIntosh um, uh, proceed with his presentation. Um, I want to confess something to you. Today's message has been a kind of burning in my heart for a while. And uh, as I thought about it, prayed over it, painstakingly worked on it, I, uh, I remember the quote that uh, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And uh, so as I was in the room before I came down, I prayed, Lord, there is so much material here. I don't know that I can cover it as you would have me to. I need you to help me. And so I got down here, and I looked in my computer, and the document was there, but half of it was missing. <laughs> and... I, I couldn't find it. I looked here the last 10 minutes. And so I accept this as the will of God. And uh, I recognize that at the end of time, we're told that we will have to use simple means. It's probably not going to be PowerPoint. There's probably not going to be all of the different things that we're used to. But still, we're going to be called to give a testimony for Jesus. And if the medical missionary work is to be the final work, that means that you are on the front lines. You are going to be heralding the final message. I don't know where the pastors will be. Maybe they'll be doing prison ministries. <laughs> I'm not sure what's, how it's all going to come down. <clears throat> but I do recognize <clears throat> that you will be on the front lines. And I also recognize something else. That the Sabbath will be the testing truth at the end of time. So what I want to talk with you about today is medical missionaries and their relationship to the Sabbath. And the title of my talk is the right arm resurrected. You might fully understand why I'm going to ask you to kneel with me in prayer before I begin. <clears throat> Father in heaven, I thank you for today <clears throat> that you have resurrected us to newness of life to be able to speak a word and season for you, to those who are weary. I thank you for each clinician here. I thank you for each dentist and doctor and nurse and allied health professional and anyone else who's in this room today. I thank you for those that are listening. 
I thank you that you remind me often that it's not by might, nor by power, but by your Spirit. I thank you that you've reminded me this morning that we cannot make flesh our arm. We cannot trust in chariots or in horses, but only in you. And so I ask you to enter into this place. I ask you to help me to represent you today. You know the liabilities with each of us in representing you. But in your grace and in your mercy, you have called us to do so. And in your calling is your enabling. We thank you. And we come in Christ's name. Amen. The right arm resurrected. Yesterday, we learned two things. Well, I hope we learned more than two things. We learned that the right arm, the right arm, is a metaphor that Ellen White uses to talk about medical missionary work. But we challenged ourselves. We said, what uh, did she really mean? What does Scripture say about the right arm? And so we disciplined ourselves to go back through Scripture and look at the right arm in Scripture. And we discovered two things. (laughs) Number one, that God's right arm was operative in creation. He, it says in Jeremiah, created with his arm. And in Isaiah, it says with his right hand, he spanned forth the foundations of the world and the universe. And so his right arm was powerful in that creative act. And that was memorialized in which commandment? In the Sabbath commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thy labor and do all thy work. The seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Why? As we end the commandment slipping forward. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, sea and all that in them is. So that first act of God with his right hand was memorialized in the Sabbath commandment. It was a picture, that first Sabbath, of health and of goodness and of rest, of sanctuary with God. We're told that God would walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the garden. I can only imagine the first Sabbath day. Eve had just met her husband and vice versa. And that first Sabbath of joy, can you picture it, of rest. But then the interloper came in, the corrupter. The devil came in, and he called into question everything about that. He said, look, this is not a complete creation. You're not complete unless you listen to me. (laughs) And pleasures? 
Pleasures at the right hand of God forevermore? I don't think so. What about pleasures from my hand? Look at this fruit. And so Eve stretched out her hand and took the fruit. And as we learned yesterday, he's been attempting to corrupt right hands ever since. We looked at some passages that showed how he attempts to corrupt the right hand. And that's what he did. But praise the Lord, his arm is not shortened. We learned secondly (laughs) that that right arm also is powerful in redemption. Can you say hallelujah? (laughs) And he stretched forth his right hand, his right arm. And we see that illusion then in Exodus chapter 15. Throughout the book of Exodus, Genesis ends in a coffin, Exodus leads us out. And in Exodus chapter 15, it's clear that it was God's right arm that was leading them. Look at that with me, just to remind ourselves. We're going to go forward here today, but just a little review is necessary as some of us are new here today. Exodus chapter 15. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. (laughs) And as they're singing that song, they attribute all praise and glory to Moses. Is that right? No? In Isaiah we learned that it was his right hand, but no. Moses and Miriam and the rest sing to the Lord, and they say, Your right hand, verse 6, O Lord, has become glorious in power, Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy into pieces. And so they attribute the redemptive, redeeming, restorative act of God to his powerful right arm. What a lesson for medical missionaries. To not take credit for anything, but to give all the praise and glory to God. We learned that just as in Genesis there was a sanctuary experience that was connected with the Sabbath and with perfect health, so in the restorative, redemptive counter-movements of God's right arm, the sanctuary came into focus. And uh, He led them with His arm, verse 16. Fear and dread will fall upon by the greatness of your arm. They will be still as a stone till your enemies pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over. You will bring them, verse 17, in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And so this redemptive right arm would take them out, but leads them to the sanctuary. And we learned that on the journey, they had mental and physical healing. Their cognitive distortions, ten of them are dealt with in the Exodus experience. And those ten cognitive distortions are dealt with on a massive scale. Then we learned also as we moved to the, through the sanctuary that their physical needs were dealt with as well. They walked. They drank water. They had plenty of sunshine. 
And not only that, when you look in the sanctuary, you can see that they moved from the unclean meats of Egypt and then memorialized their worship of God with a sacrifice of clean meats. But then in the holy place were introduced two things, bread and grape juice. And then when they entered into the most holy place, there was manna and there was almonds and pomegranates on the bottom of the priest's robe. Those are all quite medicinal, aren't they? And it was as if God was leading them back to Genesis 1, 29. Back to Eden. And in that same context, Exodus 15, verse 26, we, we, we see the direct linkage between the redemptive right arm and healing. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God to do what is right in His sight and give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, I am Yahweh there, who heals you. When was the first time Yahweh was used in the Bible? Right when the Sabbath, the first Sabbath was given. I am the Creator, I am now the Redeemer. And then we learned that that redemptive act was memorialized not in Exodus, in Exodus Sabbath commandment, but in Deuteronomy. Look with me there. Deuteronomy. Oh, I just love this. Don't you love this? The Sabbath, the sanctuary, and medical missionary work all together. Do you like that? Your calling is in the midst of the Sabbath commandment. Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Sabbath commandment there. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, verse 12. As Yahweh your Elohim commanded you, six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your manservant nor your maidservant nor your ox nor your donkey nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. Why? Verse 15. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that Yahweh Elohim, the Lord your God, brought you out from there with a what? A mighty hand and an outstretched... Which arm was it? The right arm. The same one that gave the law in Deuteronomy 33.2. You sent your fiery law. Isn't that powerful? Creation and redemption memorialized in the Sabbath commandment along with the sanctuary and along with medical missionary work. Now, why did I review that? Because I want to take you now to the last exodus. Now we're new ground. The first exodus was to teach us these things were written for your admonition upon whom the end of the world has come. End of the age, we're told by Paul. So go with me to the last Exodus. Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. This is why we have a movement. This is channel 10 of God's network. Channel 1. 
And in Revelation chapter 10, we see this same Exodus motif now picked up for the final remnant of God. What does it say? I saw another angel, a mighty angel, coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. Who is that? Who is that? That angel, he's a messenger of the covenant, we're told. That's Jesus, and he's leading a new exodus. Notice, he had a little book opened in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. He is parting the waters for this new exodus movement. They're going through that final Red Sea. And as he goes forth, he stretches out his right hand in a solemn oath, we're told, in verse 5, the angel who I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his hand to heaven. Which hand do you suppose that was? It's probably both hands, but the predominant was the right. You look at Revelation chapter 10 and parallel it with Daniel chapter 12, and you see that same angel back in Daniel chapter 12 who gives the prophecies and says to Daniel, go your way and rest till the time of the end. And then we pick it up and that same angel picks up his hand again and says, let's pick up where we left off. Here we are at the end of the prophecies. He swore, verse 6, by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and earth. What is that? The right arm of creation. And the sea and all the things that are in it. What's that? It's a Sabbath illusion, isn't it? That there should be what? Chronos no longer. No more chronology. At the end of the time prophecies, God is moving. And there is this movement that comes up because the angel has something else that he does. He takes that little book. What is that little book? book of Daniel. And he gives it to those folks and he says, eat it up. They eat it up. And what happens? It's sweet. It's high on the glycemic index. And then what happens? It becomes acidic. <laughs> it becomes sour, doesn't it? What did that mean? There was this movement that arose during that time, the preaching of William Miller. led to a group of people that believed with all their hearts and all their minds that Jesus was coming again. It's what's been termed a magnificent disappointment. And as they studied this passage after this great disappointment when Jesus didn't return, they said, oh, this is what happened. And verse 11 says, He said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And this new exodus began, this final exodus, the restoration of all things, the resurrection of truth would come. Think about the great, wonderful truths of this church. Think about the state of the dead. Think about whether or not we'd have a health message without that wonderful doctrine of the state of the dead. Think about other churches that haven't understood that, who have operated on the idea that there's dualism, that the body is evil and that the soul is 
precious and holy? What's their health been like? There are studies out of Purdue University that show the worst health of different denominations. And those that hold that doctrine are the highest on that list. How many of you are thankful for the wonderful doctrine of the state of the dead? I wish I had my little computer to show you those studies. Maybe I'll email them to you later if I ever find them again. The devil was attacking my Macintosh computer. He got two Macintoshes with one stone. So, state of the dead, are you thankful for that? Oh, man, I'm so, so thankful. You know, in the, in the programs we run and different things, I talk to these ministers, they come to the program, and they say, why is it that you have this message? And I say, well, it's because we uh, understand what happens to people when they die. And they say, what? You have a health message because you understand what happens to people when they die. And I explain this dualism. And after they've gone through the health program and they've seen all these results, they go, Wow, this must be why my church doesn't really get it. I remember once I told the class that I'll tell you today, I, I was invited to go to a church of a man who had gone through our health program, and he was so blessed. He was the pastor of a large church in Wichita. And so he, he said, you know, you ought to come down to my church. I said, well, there should be no problem. You come to my church, I come to you, church. Because you go on a different day than I do. We beat the rust. The traffic to your church is so great. We just have to go a day early. He goes, I know you're not telling me the truth. I said, I know, but I knew that you knew that I knew that. So since we both know that I knew that you know, I said that. Well, I went down to his church and I arrived there at his church. And I got to his church a little bit late because my brother-in-law was with me. Don't you love that when your relatives blame you for being late? Anyway, I got there a little late. The church was packed. And they were just beginning to start the service. And the only rows that were open were the front rows. So I came down and sat down at the front rows. Now in a Baptist church, the front rows are sacred rows. The very front row is reserved for the end of the service. When people who accept Jesus for the first time come forward. And so I came down to the front row with my brother-in-law and the pastor saw me and he goes, praise God, the Seventh-day Adventist minister has accepted Jesus. <laughs> I would like to say I fully appreciated that. But in his kindness at the end of the service, he let me lead the prayer of invitation. And he showed how his cholesterol and all of his numbers had dropped. And so did his wife. And his wife handed out to everybody as they were leaving a recipe for my wife's lentil loaf. <laughs> Praise God for the doctrine of the state of the dead that lays a foundation so we can have health. You know, a great summary of all the doctrines of the Adventist church is found in Revelation chapter 1. Think about it. Revelation chapter 1, I, the angel's hand 
puts in John the Revelator's hands a book. What is that book? It's the Bible, and it's the book of Revelation. Blessed is he who reads. Number one foundation doctrine of the Adventist church is the Bible. We believe it's inspired from Genesis to Revelation. We live by its principles. What's the major message of the Bible? Secondly, in Revelation chapter 1, notice there. Revelation chapter 1, let me just go there myself. In Revelation chapter 1. What time is it? I better not mess this up. Oh man, I'm running out of time. Let me just quickly do this. Revelation chapter 1, major message of the Bible. What's the second? Uh, that's the, the major thing we have to understand is that the Bible is, is the book we base things on. What's the major message of the Bible? Verse 4, grace to you and peace. End of verse 5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. It's the message of salvation. Amen? Same word for healing, by the way. What's the next message we see there? Verse 7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. Hallelujah! He's going to have a people that are ready. What's the next message there? I was in the Spirit, verse 10, on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet. It's the message of what? The Sabbath. What's the next message in Revelation? And I looked, and in the midst, verse 13, of the seven lampstands was one like the Son of Man. What's that? That's the sanctuary. We know that Jesus is not in the earthly sanctuary, but He's ministering in the heavenly sanctuary. That's where Revelation 10 and Revelation 11 teaches. Right after the disappointment, Revelation chapter 11, 1 says, Rise, measure the temple of God. The word measure is the word Jesus uses in Matthew 7 says, with what judgment you judge that you will be measured. This is a judgment illusion. Notice the Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. And so this sanctuary truth became clear. Measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Where is that phrase? The temple, the altar, and those who worship there. You mark it down and look it up later because I don't have time. Leviticus 16.33. It is the same three groups that are memorialized in the judgment or the day of atonement message, the cleansing message of Leviticus 16. Unto 2,300 evenings and mornings, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. The sanctuary truth was understood. Adventists understood that Jesus was now in the heavenly sanctuary and He was cleansing the heavenly sanctuary. Someone asked me the other day in an airport, why is it that you believe the Seventh-day Adventist Church has a health message? And I said, I think very simply, those who believe that Jesus can cleanse the heavenly sanctuary also believe He has no problem cleaning out their coronary arteries. Can you say amen to that? He wants to clean them physically. He wants to clean them spiritually. And so this people, the first thing they, first doctrine that the Advent movement then recaptured was the doctrine of the sanctuary. But after that, what came out? Foot washing. You read the Daystar Extra. You go through the comments and you see these people that say, Well, he's cleaning things upstairs. We better clean things downstairs. 
And Brother Arnold's barn became a place where they were washing each other's feet. Then came the Sabbath conferences. Because notice, Revelation chapter 11 verse 1 says, Measure the temple of God. Where where is that temple of God? Revelation chapter 11 and verse 19. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of His covenant was seen. What's in that ark? The Ten Commandments. And they discovered that there was a commandment they had missed. The only one God said not to forget. They had not remembered. And so, some of them were rebaptized. I believe even Ellen White was rebaptized. And they said, Wash us. We weren't ready for you to come. And now we see why. We must tell the world. So the sanctuary message, the state of the dead message, laid the foundation for our health message. The sanctuary message laid the foundation for the health message. The Sabbath memorialized the redemptive right arm of God in creation. The Sabbath commandment in Deuteronomy memorialized the redemptive right arm of God in bringing people out. Creation and redemption. Let's look for the right arm now in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. <laughs> I have some provocative things to say, so I better get at, get at them here. Revelation chapter 1. Notice something. We've seen the sanctuary. We've seen the sap. We've seen... Excuse me, let's just go slowly here. We've seen the Bible as the foundation. We've seen salvation as the major message of the Bible. We've seen that Jesus is coming again. Behold, I come quickly in Revelation chapter 1. We've seen the Lord's Day, which is the Sabbath. We have seen the sanctuary. And now notice what we see next. Oh, it's exciting. Verse 17. Well, look at verse 16. He had in his right hand seven stars. The right hand of God cares about the church of God. Medical missionary work must be connected with God's church to be effective. In His right hand is the stars. Those stars are the the leaders of the seven churches. Right? But notice something else. There He has His right hand and He takes His right hand, explains it in verse 17. He says, when I saw Him, I fell at His feet as dead. As dead. But he laid his right hand on me. When we're dead, we need the right hand. When we're, when we're sick, we need the right hand. And he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen! For this Amen conference. That's our text, isn't it? I am the resurrection and the life. Amen. A physical resurrection. Amen. A spiritual resurrection by the right hand of God. Mm. Now the devil wants to counterfeit the right hand of God. He wants you to go away from the resurrection message of amen. And his attack, we're told, two things... Dad reminded us last night, Elder Wilson, that the medical missionary work will be the final work. And secondly, we're told that the final test is the Sabbath. Go with me now to Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Notice what it says. The last use of the right hand in the Bible. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 16. 
This is the picture of the beast power. There are two powers in Revelation chapter 13. The first beast and the second beast. This is the second beast. And notice what it says. Verse 16. And he causes all, both great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand. I had never really considered it before, but I recognized as I read it, chills went down my spine. I recognized that the final attack of the devil is on the right hand. It is the hand that created. It is the hand that restores. It is all of that, but it's also the health message. The devil will specifically attack the health message, and it makes perfect sense. He'll attack medical missionaries, and it makes perfect sense because they are the ones who will give the final loud cry. When they, verse 17, those that receive the mark on their right hand. Remember, that's a direct allusion to what commandment? Fourth commandment, Deuteronomy. Those that receive the mark on their right hand, what's going to happen? They don't have it. They cannot buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. What will be the biggest challenge to medical missionaries at the end of time? They will have to choose between economic success or the God of the Sabbath. Am I right or am I wrong? And the test will come here and now today in how we choose to observe the Sabbath as doctors and as nurses and as dentists. What do you do on the Sabbath? I believe that we are involved in this era of God's history in what I call a vegetarian rebellion. And we need to tame the tofu. What do I mean by that? When I was a nurse, many of my colleagues and I would work extra shifts on Sabbath. It was a vegetarian rebellion. The pastor would not come and visit us because we were doing good on the Sabbath. But who were we fooling? Nobody. How do you relate to the Sabbath? Jesus performed seven Sabbath miracles. I wish I had time to go through them all. He did elective things on the Sabbath that could have been done the next day. He healed someone who had a problem for 18 years with their back. It could have probably waited another day. How many of you think probably so? We'll see you tomorrow. It's been 18 years. So let's not hesitate to say we can do good on the Sabbath, but let's not play loose with God. Medical missionary is eloquent on this point, that we need to protect our relationship with God. What do you do? How do you schedule yourself? How do you allow yourself to be scheduled? What do you do with the funds that you receive from the Sabbath? We have specific counsel as to what we should do for the funds on the Sabbath. What are we to do? Let me read to you a testimony from 
someone and show you the blessing here. Can you see why the devil attacked my computer? Can you? Everyone's silent. That means I know I'm right. My testimony, written by a physician friend of mine, goes back over 20 years. When I finished family practice residency, I felt unprepared and lacked faith that God would help me start a practice on my own. So instead, I joined a family practice group in a small town with some residency partners who had finished before me. One small problem, though they were of a different faith than mine. Initially, this didn't bother me, but as time went on, things began to change. The final straw was their desire to open the office on Sabbath for routine patient visits. By this time, my wife and I had become increasingly convicted that we were outside God's will and unequally yoked in a medical practice where we had nothing in common with our partners except the practice of medicine. I still remember coming home one night after a long office meeting where I announced, I want you to say hallelujah after this, where I announced I could no longer see routine patients in the office on Sabbath. That wasn't good enough. Can I hear it again? I still don't think, but I won't make you do it again. The response was what I expected, and I knew that our days were numbered. This man didn't want to receive the mark in his hand. So my wife and I chose to leave what appeared to be a very successful family practice group and move back to a city where I did my residency and began a solo practice, sharing expense with a good friend. Looking back now, I... Know that without a doubt, this was the wisest choice I ever made. Knowing we were doing the right thing and following God's leading gave me the confidence to move forward. And through a number of providential leadings, God provided me with a niche medical practice, which I enjoy very much. Can you say hallelujah? How many people don't step out and see what the Lord can do? Several years after the move, God once again began making me feel uncomfortable about the relationship between my practice and the Sabbath. And I began thinking about the revenues I was generating on the Sabbaths when I was on call at the hospital. And then the Lord led me to the following quote by Ellen White in Medical Missionary, page 216. Physicians need to cultivate a spirit of self-denial and of self-sacrifice. It may be necessary to devote even hours of the Holy Sabbath to the relief of suffering humanity, but the fee for such labor should be put into the treasury of the Lord to be used for worthy poor who need medical skill but can't afford to pay for it. I felt the Lord leading me to take the revenues from Sabbath work and put it into a medical emergency fund at the church, and over the years this fund has grown with the help of others into a sizable sum. It has been a real joy to see it help many church members who simply did not have the resources to meet their emergency needs. And it frequently has made the difference between an individual getting needed medical attention and suffering without. And through this all, has God left me to languish? Absolutely not! Not only has He given me a niche practice, but also an office staff that's been a joy to work with. And financially, the Lord has blessed me uh, beyond measure. I found it interesting to see in a recent medical economics magazine that my personal income ranked in the top 10%. Well, you might have to say goodbye to it all again because who ever does not receive the mark in their right hand will lose it all. But don't you think that if you've made this kind of decision, it's probably going to be easier to lose it all? Looking back, I shudder, he continues, to think what might have happened to our family if I had not made the choice to leave 
when everything seemed in our favor. Someday, maybe, I'll be able to run the videotape of what might have been. But then again, I probably wouldn't want to watch it. How many minutes do we have? I just got started. (laughs) Let me say this to you, though. Can you see the connection between the final conflict and Sabbath observance for the physician? Can you see it? Did I pull this out of the hat? Is it biblical? Is it consistent? Let me remind you, in Genesis... After that perfect creation, the devil attacked the sanctuary and the Sabbath and the health of people. Let me remind you that in the Exodus, when they had gone all the way through with God's redemptive arm, the devil attacked again with a golden calf. And what did they do? They bowed down to that calf and they said, This is our God, and He will take us back to sanctuary with Him. And they went back to Egypt and they called Him the Lord. L-O-R-D, capitals. That is the God of creation and the God of redemption. And the test was the Sabbath in the first Exodus. And it will be and is the test in the last Exodus. The implications are profound. Do you eat out on Sabbath? Do you allow others to serve you on Sabbath? Do people watch what doctors do? I believe, I say this humbly, because I am just a fellow journeyer with you, that we need a revival of true godliness. Someone says, well, the logistics won't allow me to do this or that. How is that going to stand up before the judge of the ages? You know, I have a concern. I'm a pastor. Or I should say I used to be a pastor. I still am for one more week. And as I look at my sheep, as I study with them, I study within the Sabbath truth. And I say you need to leave your job. I say you need to do this. And I prove it to them from the scriptures. And God gives them a heart to do that. To keep his commandments. And that's the only way it happens. It's a born-again experience. It's not legalism. It's a result of being born again. And these people, as they're born again, they say, that's fine, I'll give that up. And God blesses them. My great-grandfather came into the church. He only heard one sermon. It was the mark of the beast. It was in the middle of the depression. And he said, look, it's truth. That was my grandfather on my mother's side, Gordon, my middle name. And he left his job and he went home and he was walking home and he says, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And a car stops and the lady says, I need help fixing my car. Can you fix it? And he did. He gave him, he, she gave him $10. And then she called her friends and other friends. It happened to be a Jewish lady. Can you say hallelujah? <laughs> and he started to practice taking care of cars. And on the front of his car practice, his automotive shot. You know what he put? The Ten Commandments. And when you're picking somebody to work on your car, what are you going to pick? Someone that has the Ten Commandments on the front? Or someone that doesn't? Someone that will stand for the Sabbath you can trust? My grandfather bequeathed that heritage to me. I'm so thankful for it. I well remember the stories of how he would give the Bible studies there. 
in his shop. He had to memorize the scriptures because his hands were all dirty. And he said, I'll give you 10% if you listen to me talk. And they would look up the Bible studies as he was fixing their car. And for some reason it would take longer, but it, he charged less. And many people came into the kingdom. I remember how my wife, when I met her in the Hinsdale Hospital Sanitarium, she was, well, it's not a sanitarium anymore, but as I met her there, I, I began to talk with her about, you know, maybe the future for us. And she said to me, why is it that you work on the Sabbath? And I said, well, you know, I gave her all the lines. And she said, well, I can understand that, but what do you do with the money? And I said, well, what do you do with the money? You work here. And she said, I put it all into a Sabbath fund. That's the first time I was introduced to that. And I said, okay, I'll try that. So I started to put it into a Sabbath fund. I was working in this emergency department down in, in uh, Benton Harbor. And I had all this money, you know, building up. And I said, what am I going to do with this? Well, I'm going to give it away to people. So I started to give it away to people. And I've got to tell you, when you give away money, you've got a lot of friends. This is the closest I came to having everyone in the town come out to see me. Pretty soon they would look for my car coming into the parking lot with a little Honda and they'd say, He's here! He's here! And all the homeless people would run up. And I was sitting there in the triage desk one day and there was about 15 people lined up to see me. And that was about 15 too many for the charge nurse who called the supervisor, who called the head of the hospital and said, Don, we need to have a chat. And so they called me in. I said, what are you doing? I said, I felt convicted about the Sabbath. I know I have to take care of the sick. I know it's an emergency room, and you would think that it's probably emergency, so I feel comfortable working on the Sabbath, but I don't feel comfortable with the money, and I'm giving it away. And they said, please don't do that. I said, excuse me, it's my money, isn't it? And they said, no. Uh, they said yes, and I said, well, I, I'm sorry, it's not really mine, it's the Lord's money. You know what the supervisor said to me? She said, you know what, Don? We really like you. We do. We just can't help but like you. For some reason. <laughs> and, uh, but we want to make a special request. Could you find it, would you feel bad if we never scheduled you again from Friday night through Saturday night. I said, well, let me think about that. That's no problem whatever. Can God bless when we ask Him to lead in this area? Brothers and sisters, I want to read one last text. It's an encouraging text. It's a text I hope to deal with tomorrow with my computer. But if I don't, the long Lord's arm is not short. Here is the text. Oh, it is a wonderful text. Revelation 15, 2. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. What's that sea of glass? It's standing before the throne of God, it says, Revelation 4. This is those that are on the sea of glass, those who have had, what's it say next? Victory over the beast, over the mark in their forehead or in their hand. Can you say hallelujah? Do you want to be there? Do you want everyone in your staff to be there? And what are they going to be doing? 
They have victory over the mark and over the number of the name. They stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. You know, that's an allusion to Psalm 92 that memorializes the Sabbath. And they sing a song. What do they sing? What is the song that they sing? They sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. How many of you want to be there? They sing a song that memorializes God's right arm of creation. They sing a song that memorializes God's right arm of redemption. And they have victory over the beast. Someone said the other day, I don't know what the next step is spiritually in my practice. Let me commend this one to you. Because the Sabbath is the last great test. And medical missionaries are the last great group of individuals who will give the loud cry. May the Lord bless you.